Well, today we begin a new chapter, and what we're going to look at, we're going to be looking at the book of Habakkuk. Now, if you want to look for Habakkuk, you can do one of two things. You can start in the front and look up Habakkuk, it's H-A-B-A-K-K-U-K, and it'll tell you what page, or it's lost somewhere in the middle. It's only three chapters, so it's not easy to find, but it's in the Minor Prophets. And um, now, here's the fun thing. Some of you may never have read the book of Habakkuk. Some of you would listen to me say Habakkuk. And um, you say, where is that? Who is that? And as I would say that, and as you might say that, so would many in the Jewish community of Habakkuk's day. Habakkuk was a pretty much unknown guy. The only occasion in scripture where we hear the name Habakkuk is in Habakkuk. It's the only time, the only place. There's no real identification as to who he is, what he did, just Habakkuk. And he has a conversation with God. That's it. Now here's what's kind of fun with, fun with me as I think about this. He would probably be a contemporary of Jeremiah and maybe a couple other guys. He probably preceded Ezekiel and Daniel. Maybe, uh, maybe along with uh, Zephaniah, that's another one of those guys you can look up and near him in the, in the scriptures. But he's a little bit different than the rest. Typically, a prophet kind of has God whispering in his ear and he stands and he faces the nation and he says, thus says God. But Habakkuk is different because he's turned the other way from most of the book of Habakkuk. Towards the end, you see a celebration and a rejoicing, but for the book of Habakkuk, he's kind of turning facing God. And he's kind of like Job, and he's having a conversation with God because there's stuff going on that he doesn't understand. There are things taking place that he is confused with, and we'll get to some of that in a little bit. And he just has some questions he would really like answered. Now, have you ever been in that kind of position? Where you have questions you would really love to have answered? And as you have looked and thought and prayed and all those types of things, you just don't get the answers you're looking for? Welcome to Habakkuk's conversation with God. And then when he gets some answers, he goes, Back up! We need to talk about this. Because I'm confused. You ever been in that position? You kind of start to get the answers? And it just kind of messes with your head? Because they're not the answers you were expecting to get? That's part of the conversation that's taking place with Habakkuk. Now, What's interesting with Habakkuk and very, very cool is the Jewish community recognized Habakkuk as authoritative. They recognized that as Habakkuk wrote and as he presented and as his book went forth or his letter went forth, 
the Jewish community understood it as the word of God. Part of the evidence for that is in the finding of the Dead Sea Scrolls. Now, the Dead Sea Scrolls are really cool. They're very cool for a number of reasons. One of which they're really cool about is because when people say to you, particularly if you turn to Isaiah Isaiah 53 or other areas and you start to talk about who God is, people like to come back and say, well, these things were modified or tweaked or adjusted later on in the process. And in fact, if you talk to most in the Jewish community, many in the Jewish community are not really fully versed in Isaiah 53 because they skip over it in their readings. But when when the Dead Sea Scrolls were found, they were sealed up and put away before Jesus was born. And they were forgotten. They were lost. Until a shepherd threw a stone into a cave to chase out the sheep. Instead of hearing, he heard, went in and looked, and this amazing discovery was found. And they started to go back through, and they looked at all these Dead Sea Scrolls. And they realized that the Dead Sea Scrolls had all of the Old Testament scriptures, and they hadn't changed at all. From then to now, over 2,000 years, the scriptures had not changed. Now, we walked through some of this a couple of years ago. You can find some of that online as we had wrestled through that. But here's what's interesting. You can now go to these Dead Sea Scrolls, And in the Dead Sea Scrolls are some commentaries on Nehemiah. Or excuse me, Habakkuk. Where did Nehemiah come from? Do you ever have that happen to you? Joan does this to me all the time. Come back, come on, come on back. Don't know where you just went, but come back. Your your mouth and your brain are not in sync. So now, this is really cool because this also happened in a relatively short period of time. The Dead Sea Scrolls were sealed up somewhere between 50 to 100 B.C. And Habakkuk is writing around 600 B.C. So let's talk about some of the history that's shaping Habakkuk. Habakkuk is right around that time when God is going to put his foot on a nation of Israel. Judah. The kings to the north, the Samaritans, the Sumerians, Assyrians have already taken them away. The ten tribes to the north have already been taken into captivity. The Assyrians have dominated the world footprint for a long period of time. They're about ready to be disposed. The Babylonians have been nipping at them, chewing at them, but they're about ready to be eliminated. But in the nation of Israel... Ugly things have continued to go on. You had King Hezekiah, and God extended his life, and it was to King Hezekiah when the Babylonian representatives came, and King Hezekiah showed them everything. And the prophet came to Hezekiah and said, Hezekiah, what did you show them? And he goes, I showed them everything. And the prophet said, well, I want you to understand that everything you showed them, they are going to cart away. 
And he gave a prophecy at that point in time that Hezekiah said, well, it's okay, it's all good, because at least I'll be dead and gone before all of this ugly stuff happens. So part of that really annoys me, part of that I understand, but mostly it's annoying. But here's the problem with Hezekiah's life. He had a son, Manasseh. A really rebellious, sinful guy. And it's ultimately because of Manasseh's reign that God said, Done. I am going to bring the hammer. And I'm going to deal with you guys. So, excuse me, Manasseh led the nation way down the path of idolatry. They were well down the path already. But he encouraged them to go way into deep depravity. He, he encouraged them to go far, 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 far away from God. To the point where his grandson Josiah, when they were talking about the temple, they discovered they found the book of the law. It was lost. So here's a nation established by God, established to worship God, established to know God. And they had gone so far that the very founding principles, the very founding documents, the very founding things that defined who they were to be as a nation, their very reason for existence, were totally forgotten. Now, we wrestle in our nation right now as to the place and role of our founding documents. We wrestle with, are they living to be interpreted in a living way, or are they more static to be interpreted in a more static way? And we wrestle with that stuff. And we talked about that a little bit already, where we take things at different times to the Supreme Court for different opinions and different ideas, because we're trying to wrestle through, is this living or or static, and, and do we add more to it, or don't we, and all that kind of stuff. But we know where our founding documents are. We know what they are. They have not been lost. We just might wrestle about how they get applied. But the founding documents in the nation of Israel, forgotten. Lost. Ignored. And they went far, 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 far from God. Human sacrifice, idolatry, witchcraft spiritism, all stuff that God says should not exist, all stuff that God said is sin, all sorts of ugly, 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 ugly things going on. Now, Josiah comes along and he starts to do some reforms and it's kind of like too little, way too late. In the whole slant of culture, the whole framework of culture, the whole direction of the nation is just running like crazy downhill toward oblivion. It's running downhill toward sin, to rebellion, running far, far, far from God. That's the environment that Habakkuk starts to speak in. That's the environment that God raises up Habakkuk to do ministry in. And he kind of looks at God and he goes, God, what are you doing? I am confused. Now, does any of this maybe have some ring of familiarity to you?
He talks about the coming judgment from Babylon, but probably talking about before it took place. He's probably writing roughly, I would think, around 600 B.C. Josiah, at this point in time, is gone, replaced by a wicked king. Babylon is about to come in and have a peaceful takeover in 605, but it's in that 605 B.C. So as we talked about Daniel, it's in 605 B.C. that Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and those other guys, they are taken out of Jerusalem, they're taken to Babylon. Some of the cream of the crop are removed. But it's probably before all of this really takes place. It puts you in the context. But the world is slanted and moving far from God. They're not choosing to listen to God. They're not choosing to honor God. So if you read Romans 1, it says, not only did they do the right, their own thing, they, they knew the things of God, they knew the calling of God, the word of God, but they chose to ignore and do their own thing when you read Romans 1. And then you get to that end part of Romans 1 where it says, and not only do they do those wrong things, but they also celebrate and rejoice in others that do them as well. They, they high fives, go for it. It's a great thing. Do the wrong stuff. Chase it. That's the environment we're in. Now, two things stand out for me as I kind of look at this before we start to jump into the first four verses of Habakkuk. Here's a guy that's relatively unknown. We have no idea what he did. The theory might be he was involved in worship. He might have been a Levite because of some of the things that people read and think about in, in chapter 3 because there's kind of a song and there's some language there that might suggest that maybe he was involved in some of the temple worship and that kind of stuff, but they really don't know. But here's what's cool. God is taking a relatively, virtually unknown individual and doing cool stuff through his life speaking to the nation and asking questions and putting questions out for the nation to consider that everyone had already been asking, probably. Do you ever feel like you're not one of the famous, well-known people? You know, I don't remember the last time anyone ever came to a conference to hear me speak. You know, the national publication goes out and says, featured speaker Andrew Brown. Just, you know, that doesn't happen. Never happened. Do you ever feel like you're like the featured individual, the prominent, the well-known one? Here's what's cool to me. Here's a guy that's virtually unknown. Nobody knows who he is except the only, the only conversation, when the only evidence we have of him in Scripture is in his book when he names himself. And yet God used an unknown individual to do cool stuff. To communicate his word to a nation that needed to hear God's message and was asking questions that a nation needed to wrestle with and that we still wrestle with. And his voice still speaks 2,600 years later. Can be you or me. 
God has a way of working with and speaking through and working through really simple, common people. Now, Jeremiah was his contemporary, and God did great things through Jeremiah, and Jeremiah was known. He was heard, he was known, he was recognized. Habakkuk, he would go to Jeremiah's conference, but Jeremiah probably wouldn't go to his from today's framework. Jeremiah was known. Habakkuk was this unknown individual, and yet God used him in an amazing way. The first thing I want you to do before we even open a word is to recognize that God has ways of using us and don't see yourself as insignificant, unimportant, unnecessary. You have been called to serve God. You've been called to walk with God. You've been called to represent Him. We talked about that last week. Don't dismiss the call of God in your life in the role that He has called you to have in the world around us and in the lives of people around you. You have been called to be salt and light. You have been called to be a messenger of Jesus. Don't lose sight of that. An unknown individual continues to speak because he was willing to listen and follow God. Don't lose sight of that. Simple, humble people who serve God have a voice for God that is heard. The second is this. God seems to be willing and open to hard questions. I really appreciate that. God is open to really hard questions and letting us wrestle through hard questions. Because the opening bell for the book of Habakkuk is not, oh, peaches and cream. He starts right off the bat going, God, I am confused. This does not make sense. And God doesn't squish him like a bug. God doesn't slap him around. God doesn't beat him up and say, you should know better, Habakkuk. No, he has a conversation with him. The reality is all of us have heavy, weighty questions. All of us at different times will look at God and say, God, I am confused. I don't understand. Why? I'll, I'll tell you a short one. It's kind of a basic one, but it's a short one. When I was in, in seminary, I used to work construction. And I would do construction with these various groups of people that would come through. There was this one couple that did a lot of painting for the contractor I worked for. And they would be on the job, but I was on the job. And as I was on the job at different times, I finally came, someone told me they didn't have kids, and I, and I kind of looked at that and I said, man, God is, God is good and just, because, boy, to have these two people as parents for kids would be a disaster. And I found out later they had three kids. Not true. I, I kind of came back and know Jonah's cringing as I say that. <laughs> but we all interact with some people who are like this, and, and you kind of come back and you go, 
God, what are you doing? These kids are going to be destroyed. And I didn't get it. I was like, truly, I, there was a point in time where I thought, you know, <laughs> these are the these are the picture of the people you would put in the description to say, good example of people who should not have children. God, what are you doing? And then you see other times where you see great people who would be great parents and they don't have kids. You come back and say, God, I'm confused. All of us have occasions in life where we ask those kinds of questions. Where we look at the things that are going on in the world around us, we look at things happening in our lives, we look at things that happen in our families, we look at things that happen with our friends, and we are confused, confused, confused. And we go back to God and say, I'm confused. Can you please explain this to me? God allows those kinds of questions. So let's jump in this morning, and I'm not going to go into all the answers. I'm just going to ask the questions this morning, because I would like you this week to read through the book of Habakkuk, to read through these things, but I think it's good for you to wrestle through some of these questions too, before I start to maybe talk about some of the answer that God gives. But let's start in verses 1 to 4, and we're going to focus in on verses 1 to 4 in Habakkuk 1. And it says, the pronouncement that the prophet Habakkuk saw... And he says this, How long, Lord, must I call for help? And you do not listen. Or cry out to you about violence, and you do not save. Why do you force me to look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Oppression and violence are right in front of me. Strife is ongoing and conflict escalates. This is why the law is ineffective and justice never emerges. For the wicked restrict the righteous, therefore justice comes out perverted. Does any of that sound like maybe conversations you might have had with God at different times? And God welcomes and engages in the conversation. A couple things happened recently. We took a week to go down to Ocean City with Joan's family for a small reunion. Now, I'm a water guy. I'm not a beach guy. I love the water. If we're going to go to the beach, I'm glad to go to the beach with you as long as I can walk through the beach to the water. If you're expecting me to stay on the beach with you, that's not what I want to do. Now, one of the things I'm also grateful about being back in New Jersey as opposed to living in Minnesota is because, again, as I've said in the past, the water plays with you. It's wonderful. It's great. But you don't need, a, you don't need water that plays with you to go to the beach. All you need is a patch of sand, and you can kind of be at the beach. I mean, you go to the beach, and you see people who go down to the beach. They cart all of this stuff down to the beach... And they don't even go in the water. 
Now that does not make any sense to me whatsoever. You can lay in your backyard. You can go to the beach around the corner. You can go just about anywhere. You can go to a lake that has not a ripple. It doesn't matter because you're just sitting there in the sun. But I like going to beach because I like getting in the water. Now, I have gotten bigger than I used to be over the years. And this is one of the things I've still discovered. Whether I was at my skinnier stage or of my four full, more fuller stage now, the waves still pick you up and move you. It's amazing. As we were moving from North Jersey to Minnesota, we were in the ocean down in uh, uh, North Carolina, Outer Banks, and a hurricane is getting ready to come in. And so the, day, the last day we were at the beach, it was rocking and rolling. It was great. And, and, and the people we were there with, I love boogie boards and I get on boogie boards, but I think it was great. And, and so I'm there in the ocean. And, and Scott said, can I borrow your boogie board? I said, sure, borrow my boogie board. And so he borrowed my boogie board and I, so I would do some body surfing. I got that one rave. And it picked me up and it pile-drived me. After that, I was kind of done for the day. <laughs> my shoulder hurt for years. It never really has been quite right since. I can kind of move it. If you're up here, you could have heard it just pop. I couldn't do that before, but now... Habakkuk is kind of like in the waves. You kind of swim in them, and you swim in the waves of life but it feels like a mindless power that you try to harness, but you really can't control it. It's fun to ride the waves, and it's kind of fun to live in the flow of life, but there's an out-of-controlness to it that we can't manage and we can't control. How about over the last couple weeks, we have been having some ripping thunderstorms. And again, last night, now, one of the fun things about being in the apartment that we're in as, as opposed to the house is we have a better panoramic view for all the lightning storms that come because I'm looking above most of the trees. It's cool, but it also reminds you of your powerlessness. You know, you're not going to be Thor and go out there and hold up your hammer. And you're not going to be Ben Franklin and fly a kite in the storm either. There's just power. I still remember the time in Minnesota and Pittsburgh. Our neighbor called us and told us there was a tornado watch. That means I think the difference between the warning and the watch is the warning is you think there might be one. The tornado watch is that they've seen one, so be careful. There's been a tornado watch. Now you would think in Pittsburgh, up in Mount Washington, if you ever get there, it's up on the top of a hill. It's really not the kind of territory you get a typical tornado. And so we're looking at stuff and look out the window and it's coming up the alley across the way. 
Now, this is a baby. This is not like a big tornado like you would see out west. This is a baby tornado. And it's kind of bouncing along. The one house down the corner just ripped everything down at the back of the house. You're looking at this full-size house, but it looks like a kid's dollhouse, just full-size. But then you walk across the street, and it's amazing how the tornado just kind of bounced. It didn't kind of go just across everything. It just kind of bounced. And amazingly, it kind of bounced over the business district and landed in a clump of trees behind some apartments. And it was like God stood up on the mountain, on Mount Washington, took a scythe and just went, it was just all wiped out. And you sit in the flow of life and you realize that you are powerless. You are riding the current. You're kind of watching the waves. You're, you're, you're trying to check to see which is a good one versus which one is going to pile drive you. And you try to catch the right wave. You kind of sit there and enjoy the thunder and lightning storm because it's kind of cool and beautiful, but you kind of want to do it kind of setting back under the alcove because you don't want to be in the line of when the bolt strikes close. And it's kind of scary, but also exciting a little bit when it strikes close. Because you're seeing it, you're hearing it, you hear this. But it's in your, in your hair and your skin can maybe stand up a little bit because there was a tree really close to our house that got struck when I was a kid. And other times, and you, you're, when you're hearing it and seeing it all at the same time, it just kind of. That's where Habakkuk is. He's in the flow of life. He's watching stuff that's going on. But he's seeing all around him things that are totally beyond his control to manage. And yet he has been called of God to be his representative in this context. He's been called to take the message of God to the nation. He's been called to represent God to the nation of Israel. And yet as he steps into that realm of bringing this message of God to the nation of Israel, he's stepping into a context of life where things are flowing in totally the wrong direction, and he is powerless to alter it. Go to the beach and tell the waves to flow the other way. It doesn't work. They're going to keep rolling in. Now, this, this past Easter was the calmest I've ever seen the ocean. It was amazing. It was barely a ripple. But it was just in that moment of time. That's where Habakkuk is. Do you ever feel like Habakkuk? Like you know the things God might have called you to do. You're, you're trying to... Weave your way through the flow of life, but there is so much going on around you, and you realize that I'm just riding the currents, I'm watching the storms rage around me, but I am powerless to manage and control what is going on. We go back to verse 2. How long, Lord, must I call for help? My throat is hoarse. I am dry and scratchy, God. And I'm here trying to navigate this stuff, look at this stuff, but my throat is parched, it is dry. How long do I keep on calling for help? I've got to tell you, 
Just being honest with you, God, I don't think you're listening. I don't know what you're doing. I don't know where you are right now. But it really feels like you have a headset on, you're listening to something else, and I'm just like, I'm not getting through. On my computer, I have this little button up in the top right, and I make sure I have it put, pushed for, the, for Sunday mornings. It's my do not disturb button. So I don't get these little pop-ups telling me stuff. It's annoying on Sunday morning. It's annoying most of the time anyway. But God, you have the do not disturb button pushed in the prayer closet. It's all going to voicemail. You ever felt like that? Where you have conversations with God, you talk to God about things in life, and you talk about the things that are going on, and it feels like silence. Or I cry out to you about violence, and you do not save. In some ways, that kind of describes our past year, doesn't it? As a nation. A lot of anger. Whether you want to call it protest or riot, I'm not sure the language that we're supposed to use to describe it. But a lot of unhappy expression. In reality, it's not just this past year. Most of us have seen all sorts of angry behavior, all sorts of violent behavior, wrong behavior. And you try to stand up for it, you try to be a voice for it, and at times it feels like you just get drowned out by the noise. And no one listens and no one hears. And it feels like at times God isn't doing anything. It's exactly what Habakkuk is saying. And he's looking around him at the depravity that's going on around him. He's seeing kids being sacrificed by their parents because of the idol worship that goes on. He sees people being sold into slavery. He sees prostitution. He sees the idolatry. He sees the cultic behavior that's leading people into, into deceit and error. He sees all this garbage going on all around him. And what's interesting, as people get further and further from God, they don't become more and more temperate. They don't become more and more mild. They seem to get more and more violent. Do you wonder why nations have to have armies? Some nations have armies because they're going to try to take Some nations have armies because they just know that they need to defend themselves against those with armies who are trying to take. Bullies. Tyrants. And we all know that bullies and tyrants don't just exist in national offices. 
of politics. We know they exist in schools and businesses, in classrooms. I cry out to you about violence and you do not save. Why do you force me to look at injustice? Why? Now again, you need to understand that he is one who sent. He's, he's a prophet. He's there to declare the word of God. He's there to talk to the nation of Israel. And so as he does this, he can't stick his head in the sand and pretend that these things are not there. He can't just kind of go someplace else and look someplace else. He's compelled and called by God to do something. He's being compelled to confront the reality of what is around him. Just as often we are compelled to look at the reality around us. Has anyone kind of turned off the news? I know I sure have. I get tired of listening to it. Very rarely does the news really get turned on. Every once in a while I'll look at it. And I've had periods where I'll pay more attention to it and then turn it off. But for the most part right now I've just turned it off. But you still can't escape the stupidity of what's going on around us. There's injustice all around us. You all know I have four boys. Four boys have learned to drive. But only one of them that I need to talk about being careful how he drives. Because he could be pulled over, not because he's driving, but because he's black. Is that fair? Not at all. It's injustice. It's wrong. Three of my boys could drive through an area and they wouldn't be bothered at all. But because of the color of Eugene's skin, he can be pulled over. We were over at the fireworks the other night and as we were walking by, it was kind of cute, but also annoying at the same time. little girl kind of goes through that there's a black man because Eugene was walking up behind does that sound really fair not at all it's just the reality of injustice around us and in the framework of some of the things that exist in our culture these things aren't fair These things aren't right, but they exist. When I was younger, I thought we had a fair justice system. I don't believe that at all anymore. I think we have a very skewed justice system. On some levels, it depends on who you know. It depends on how wealthy you are. And it depends on how connected you are. And the wealthier and more connected you are, it seems that you seem to do a whole lot better than simple, humble people who are not wealthy or connected. Is there fairness? Is there justice in a lot of areas? On some levels there are, but you know, you know the statue of, of Lady Justice who kind of stands here with that sword to kind of execute justice, but she is blindfolded and she's holding the scales? I think, I feel like in many contexts, she's kind of picked up the blindfold and you see another finger at different times on the scale. 
That's injustice. That's injustice. God, why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Why do you tolerate it? Oppression and violence are right in front of me. Strife is ongoing and conflict escalates. The nation of Israel was kind of at this crossroad. They happened to occupy this piece of real estate. Egypt was to the south. They were a world power. And then Assyria was kind of to the west, excuse me, to the east. But to get to where they needed to be, if they were going to contend with Egypt, they would have to come down through. They would kind of come up and down through. And Babylon was further east, but they would have to also come up and come down through. They were at this crossroad where people would compete and contend. And all through the history of the nation of Israel, there was this competing, there was this contending. And as the nation split, when, when Solomon died and his, and his son did one thing and then the nation split, from that point forward, the ten tribes to the north were always contending with the, with the two tribes to the south. The nation of Israel is always competing and contending with itself. And then they had all these external forces around them where this contention and fighting and, and because you have it and I want it, I'm going to come in with force and try to take it. There was not justice. There was not fairness. There was not graciousness. There was not equity. There was just bullying and strength and power. And many people, probably like you at different times, feel like you're just a pawn. You're a cog in the process. You might... You, you're, do you ever really feel, I'm going to be honest, do you ever really feel like you have a voice in who is our governor or who is our president? Do you ever really feel like you have that voice? We have that responsibility and we should vote. We need to vote. We need to do that. But i got to be honest with you, there's a, there are periods in that process where I feel like I'm going to fulfill my responsibility because I think I have a moral responsibility to pursue those things, but I'm not really sure that any lever I pull is really going to make a real difference. Why? Because I'm a pawn in the process. I'm a cog in the wheel. I'm not a big player at all. I'm a, I'm a nothing player. And it doesn't really make a difference. But I'm watching the bigger pieces and the bigger things that are moving around me. And I hope for justice and I seek justice and I desire justice, but I don't always see that justice take place. he goes, why? 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 And he goes, this is why the law is ineffective. And justice never emerges. For the wicked restrict the righteous. Therefore justice comes out perversed. He looked at the world around him and he said, Man, it is slanted. 
and not in the favor of the righteous. The world is slanted, and it's not slanted in favor of justice. Do you ever feel that way? You ever have that kind of conversation with God? You ever sit down and, and talk with friends and you go, that's not right. It's, it so describes the world we have been living in for the past number of years, in my worldview, from my perspective. Now here's what's great. The person standing next to Habakkuk as he's having this conversation did not need to go over here. He's saying, why would he go over here? Because he didn't want to get struck by lightning. That person standing next to Habakkuk as Habakkuk is having that conversation could stand right next to him because God was not ready to strike him with lightning and take him out because he's asking hard questions. God has welcomed the hard questions, and he's going to answer. Now, the key verse that many people would say in Habakkuk is in chapter 2, in a portion of verse 4. And it says, The just shall live by faith. Sound familiar? Now, as we go through, we can decide whether or not that is the key portion of the key statement in the book of Habakkuk. But what I love is the fact that God allows hard questions. God allows us and welcomes the fact that we wrestle. What he's not going to welcome is a lack of faith and not trusting. He wants us to trust. But he also is willing to let us ask hard questions. He's willing to let us wrestle through, God, what are you doing? And I'm confused. And I appreciate that. Now, this is what I would encourage you to do as we kind of come into this week and as we start to wrestle through this. I so appreciate the questions Habakkuk is asking because they resonate with our day. They just resonate with our day. They resonate with the questions that many people are asking. And God starts to give answers. And God starts to give clarity. And we're going to wrestle through some of that over the next few weeks. But I would encourage you to wrestle with these questions and wrestle through the book of Habakkuk as we listen to that. Take some time to read through the book of Habakkuk and also take some time to have a conversation with God and say, okay, God, I do wrestle with these questions. As we start to plow through this stuff at church, would you help me to learn and grow? Would you help me to find some of the answers that I've been asking? Would you start to give some clarity to things so that I'm on point with walking with you? Take the time to wrestle. Take the time to think. Take the time to listen as God speaks. Because here's what's cool. He starts out in verse 2. You don't have to go back there. How long must I call for help and you do not listen? That's interesting. 
God was listening. He does listen. And he gave an answer. He did speak. Some of the challenge for us is then learning to be silent and for ourselves to learn to listen. Do you ever have your kids or you see this happening where kids ask a question and then they don't stop to listen, they keep on yakking? I think sometimes that's what we do. I periodically will say to one of my sons as they do this, I say, well, if you would stop talking, I might be able to give you an answer. Or I will say, I've answered that already, but you weren't listening. Sometimes we need to stop talking. Sometimes we need to stop asking. And sometimes we need to stop, pause, and really listen. Because God is usually speaking if we'll take the time to listen. Let's pray together. Father, I want to say thank you for your rich goodness to us. And Father, I want to say thank you for Habakkuk and just his willingness, Father, to put challenging, difficult questions to you and to ask them and to not shy away from those questions, to not sugarcoat those questions, but to really ask. I thank you as well, Father, that he was also willing to listen. Do that in us as well. Father, I ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Now our ushers are going to come forward. They're going to kind of take the offering from the back.